0: Acts chapter 16, let's begin reading in verse 20. Acts chapter 16, verse 20. I'm going to read through uh, just a few verses here uh, because I believe we need to set this up. But I I want to share something with you I really believe with all my heart that God's going to use to speak to somebody here this morning. Here's what the Bible says. And brought them to the magistrates. This is verse 20 of Acts chapter 16. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Now they're talking about Paul and Silas. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, "'Do thyself no harm, for we are all here.'" Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and and to uh, all that were with that were in his house. And he took them that same hour that night and washed their stripes. And was baptized he and his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeants, saying, Let those men go. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning, and I thank you, Lord, for this church and what it means to me, what it means to you. I thank you, Lord, that it is truly a lighthouse here in Gina. And so, Father, I pray this morning as as we share this word, God, that you will speak to all of us. Lord, not that you would just speak, but, Lord, that we will hear, and, Lord, that we will obey whatever it is that you call us to do. Lord, I believe you have a fresh word, a fresh anointing, something special, something unique, something just for every person here. So, Father, I pray as I always pray, Lord, not that you would help me, but, dear God, that you would do it. Lord, we're beyond... Uh, us helping god we need you to move in and power and glory with all of your might here in this place this morning so father speak to us reveal your truths to us and we'll give you glory for everything in jesus name i pray amen i want to preach a message to you this morning entitled it's 11 59 but midnight's coming you ain't as excited about it as I am, amen? You don't know what I'm about to say. I'm telling you, I love this word here. It's 1159, but midnight is coming. Now, to really understand this, you've got to understand what's going on in this text. We're talking about Paul and Silas, and you can go back and read earlier in the earlier part of this chapter, and you'll see what all was taking place. But basically, this is the part in the Scripture where Paul receives the vision from the Macedonian man saying, come over here and help us. Now, Paul was content in ministering where he was ministering at, but the Lord showed allowed him to see this vision of this Macedonian man saying, Come help us. And then Paul got together with some of the elders there, and they had a prayer meeting to confirm that it was a vision of God and that God really wanted them to go to Macedonia to preach. And so once they got confirmation, amen, and I like that. That's, that's a good word there because don't just think every vision's from God. Every time you get a tingly feeling, amen, it's not all from God. Satan knows how to deceive in that stuff too. So you better get with some people who know God and are serving the Lord and pray about it and they can reveal it to you, amen. So they got what confirmation basically. This is what we need to do. We need to go to Macedonia to preach the Word of God. God's about to do a great thing there. Uh, We already see the people, man. I can imagine Paul and Silas were so excited about getting to go to Macedonia. I would imagine on the ride there, on on the trails, in the boats, however they did it, I can imagine the excitement they felt because they knew... God was about to do something big. Man, can you imagine? If it was me, man, I'd be on that plane, boy, ready for revival as soon as I touched down. I mean, I couldn't wait to get there because I knew it was of God. I knew God wanted me to go. Man, I couldn't wait to get there because I knew revival was about to break out. Well, then they get to Macedonia. They get to Philippi there. Listen to me. And nothing. There wasn't a crowd there waiting. They weren't assembled in the in the Roman stadium there, waiting to hear the music and waiting to hear the singing and waiting to hear the service. They didn't get welcomed by anybody. In fact, nobody wanted to hear the gospel. In fact, they get there, and the only thing they could find was a women's prayer meeting going on by the river. Go back and read it. All they could find was a little group of women down there by the river praying. That's all they could find. There was no great revival. There wasn't people coming and meeting them at the boat, begging them, how can I be saved? No! No! All they could find was a little bitty women's prayer meeting. So they went and joined the prayer meeting. Listen, if all you can find is a WMU meeting in the back pray and go join them, amen? Listen, you get wherever God's at, amen? If it's just, just something little going on, you better get where that's going on, amen? Paul and Silas attached themselves. They began praying. And all of a sudden, one of the women in the prayer group got saved, man. Her and her house got saved. Revival began to break out in that little prayer group. But it still, it wasn't the masses like, like Paul and Silas was expecting. Then all of a sudden, listen, all of a sudden, Satan comes and starts attacking them through a demon-possessed woman. Now get this. They just had a spiritual encounter with God. This woman, Lydia, got saved. Her house got saved. But they're having a time worshiping the Lord in that little prayer meeting. And the next thing you know, Satan attacks them. Now there's a lesson there. Every time you have a spiritual encounter with God, you better get ready because Satan's waiting in the background. So he's waiting to attack. How many of you know every time God does something big in your life, the next thing you know, it seems like your world falls apart. Seems like something comes against you. Seems like the attacks come right after that. Amen? I mean, you can have a jam up, blow up good service in here on Sunday morning, and you won't even make it out to 84 and something. I guarantee you, Pastor, he's been up here preaching before. Man, the glory fall down. How just a down service, people at the altar, people getting saved, people getting right, and well, he can't even get out to his car, and some woman's already come up and complain about the toilet paper being turned wrong on the roll thing. I'm telling you, folks, any time you have a spiritual encounter with God, you better get ready. Satan's going to attack us. He's going to try to destroy what God just did in your life. He don't want you excited about Jesus. He don't want you serving the Lord. So he's going to do everything he can to get you down. So that's what happened, man. They had that prayer meeting, man. People got saved. Things were happening. And all of a sudden, this demon-possessed woman come and started rambling on. Amen? So Paul listened to it for a couple days, and finally he got tired of hearing. He turned around and cast the demon out of the girl. Amen. Turn around, cast the demon out of the girl. She gets saved, I believe. Amen. She gets saved. Well, this girl was the property. She was owned by some men who was using her to make a lot of money with her fortune telling and all that kind of stuff. And whenever those men realized that she, they were, they were not going to make any more money out of this girl, man, they got mad at Paul and Silas, and so they had them arrested. Now, follow with me. Now, got him arrested. They. The magistrates brought him in. They had a mock trial. They demanded Paul and Silas be stripped naked and they were beat till blood was flowing from their bodies. Then they were taken and put into solitary confinement in the deepest, darkest place of the jail. Listen to me. And all the while, now you hear what I'm about to say. All the while, they were in the will of God. Now you go back, remember? You go back and read it. Paul had a vision and confirmation through prayer. They were exactly where God wanted them to be. But now they were beaten, bloody, and chained up and locked up in the deepest part of the prison. Can I just share something with you this morning? Just because you're going through a rough time does not mean you're not in the will of God. Just because you're beat up and bloody right now, it very well be that you, may be that you're in the will of God. I, I tell you, in, in my travels, in my life, I've realized a lot of times the biggest opposition I face is when I am in the will of God. Listen, folks, you know what, what gets me is, is that a lot of times people, whenever, they, whenever they're doing what God wants them to do and it don't go the way they think it ought to go, they get mad at God. Now, I know you've never done this, but I've done this before. God, here I am serving you. I'm doing exactly what you called me to do. I'm out here doing what you called me to do. I'm in your will. I know this is what you wanted me to do. I'm out here serving you, and you let this happen to me. I guarantee you we've all been there. Get mad at God, blame God, pout, sulk, complain, whine. And then some of y'all ruin your witness when you put it on Facebook. (laughs) But not Paul and Silas. They didn't get mad at God. They didn't complain. You know what the Bible says they were doing? Well, y'all didn't hear. Listen, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 25, And at midnight... Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. You see, they prayed and they sang praises. They prayed and they praised. Y'all ain't getting it. You see, my dear friends, what I want you to see is some of y'all are going through some rough times right now. I guarantee you, some of you, and and I love the word Pastor Heath shared just a few minutes ago because it's so true of every church. There's some of y'all going through some things that we all know about. We know you're going through a rough time. We know. But let me tell you, the majority of people in our churches, nobody knows what you're going through because you won't tell anybody. So you keep it all pushed down. It's all suppressed. Nobody knows what's really going on. To everybody else, it looks like y'all got a good marriage, but you know it ain't that hot. In fact, it's pretty bad. Everybody else, you got your life in order and everything's wonderful, but you know there's some stuff going on. So I'm going to share something with you this morning that'll help you. We need to learn a lesson from Paul and Silas. Instead of whining, instead of complaining, instead of griping, instead of getting mad at God, instead of blaming other people, you know what we ought to do? We ought to pray and praise. Pray and praise. You want to know the secret to a victorious life in Christ? Pray and praise. In all circumstances, pray and praise. Listen, if it's all falling apart, that's the perfect time to pray and praise. If it's all going great, even more perfect, pray and praise. In all circumstances, we ought to be found faithful in praying and praises. And I want you to know, even when it's dark and it hurts and the storms are beating you down, we ought to be praying and praising our Lord. Here's what I want you to get. At 11.59, and by the way, I believe they've been praying and praising a lot longer than just right there at midnight. If you read that text, if you go back and you research that text out, you, you'll see there was a pattern there going on. They had been praying and praising God. I, may, I believe from the very first time, the first lick, when they got whipped that first time, they started praying and praising. All the way through that evening, all the way through putting in jail, and all during that jail time, they were praying and praising. And isn't it cool how praying translates into praising? I didn't get that until just a few minutes ago. I was reading it. Listen to this. Isn't it cool how praying translates to praise? In other words, if you can't praise God, start praying and it'll come. <laughs> That's... Are y'all awake this morning? Whoa! That's good, Brother Craig. In other words, my dear friends, if you will start praying, the praise comes naturally. Y'all not getting it, I'm telling you. You want to know why? Because most of the time, we don't know how to pray. All we do is come to God with our little Christmas list. I want this, God. I got a problem here, God. No, 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 no. You start communicating with the Lord. You start being able to be intimate with the Lord in prayer. And I guarantee you, praise is nothing but an overflow. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you folks, that there's one thing we need to learn, we need to learn how to pray, and we need to learn how to praise. We need to learn how to pray, and we need to learn how to praise. And if it's all going wrong for you this morning, then what you need to do more than anything else is to fall on this altar and get busy praying and get busy praising. Because I want you to know, at 11.59, everything looks hopeless for Paul and Silas. At 11.59, their circumstances hadn't changed. Hear me now. They were still bleeding. They were still locked up in that prison. It was 11.59, and they were still chained up in jail, in torment, in torture. They were hurting, but they were still praying and praising. 11.59, nothing changed. 11.59, 11.59, nothing changed. Are y'all hearing me this morning? 11.59, and nothing changed. And then came midnight. 11.59, <laughs> they were hurting, and there was no hope, but then came midnight. Whoa, I'm telling you what, you ought to get excited. Because here's the deal, here's the truth. It's 1159 in some of his life right now. You're hurt, you're beat down, you're bloodied, you're locked up, you're in bondage. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It's 1159. But if you'll learn the secret of Paul and Silas and you'll start praying and praising and praying and praising, one day, one day, midnight's going to come. Let me tell you, some of y'all are clapping. I'm telling you the truth. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been right there. You've been at 11.59 and there was no hope. It was, all, it was nothing but despair, darkness, and all of a sudden God broke through at midnight. And you can give testimony to the fact that it's true. God does some of his best work at midnight. You know, we think midnight's bad, right? Oh, the midnight hour. Right? Haven't you ever thought that? Midnight's bad, right? I mean, if you get a... if you if you like me and you're old and you go to bed early, I used to stay up late when I got old, amen. If you go to bed at a decent hour, if you get a phone call at midnight, you're not expecting publishers here at clearing house on another line, amen. You're not expecting somebody to say you just won a lottery or something. If you get a call at midnight, what are you expecting? Bad news. You're, if you hear the phone ring, your mind immediately goes to your family. Where are they at? Where's my kids? How's my mama? How's my daddy? You automatically go to thinking about that. But I want you to know something. I've looked in the Word of God, and I want you to know that God does some of His best work at midnight. <laughs> I wish I could get this, give this as good as I got it. Amen? <laughs> Folks, God does some of His best work At midnight. Now, what are you talking about, Brother Craig? Well, we just saw where God does a great work there in Paul and Silas' life at midnight, right? Listen, you know what happened there that day? That night, in that jail, God fulfilled His promise and brought about revival at midnight. Man, the jailer got saved, his house got saved, and boy, you'll see where God used that one single event to ignite a revival in Macedonia. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand that Paul and Silas got to experience revival at midnight even though it didn't look like revival was coming. And some of y'all need to start praying and praising as if God's going to bring you victory through whatever it is even though it don't look like you got victory right now. So I got to looking. I said, surely this ain't the only place where God did something at midnight. And you know what I found? There are other places. Ooh, this will bless you. Now listen, we're going to go real quick. So you listen fast and I'll preach fast and we'll get through fast. Amen. Take your Bibles and go all the way back to the book of Exodus. Go to the book of Exodus. I want you to see this for yourself. Amen. Now we're talking about it's 1159, but midnight's coming, right? 1159, but midnight's coming. Are y'all still awake this morning? All right. Look in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Verse 29. We're just going to read a few verses here. Listen to what the Bible says. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. The Bible says this. And it came to pass that at when? Midnight. The Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh the, uh, and that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, and there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as as ye have said, Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something this morning. Not only do we see that there was a revival at midnight in the book of Acts, but I want you to see right here in the book of Exodus that there was a release at midnight. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, folks, this is good, amen. Listen, folks, for 400 years, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. For 400 years they were in bondage to the Egyptians. And after a series of plagues using Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh would not let the people go. You remember the story. We come to the final plague which was the plague of the firstborn the deaths of the firstborn. And God told Moses, he said, you go take, have everyone in their house, take a little lamb, and you, and, you, and you slaughter that lamb, and you take the blood of that lamb, and you put it on the doorpost of your home, because tonight the death angel is coming through this land. And if the death angel comes, and he sees the blood, he will pass over your house, and go to the next house. And so that's the reason the Jews celebrate the Passover, because of the Passover lamb. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, the only way you can be saved of death, hell, and the grave, listen, my dear friend, is to have the blood of Jesus on your life so that it passes over you and you get to be in heaven. So it's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ to come. But listen to my dear friends. That night, the Bible says, that very night as that death angel went all throughout Egypt and began to kill all the firstborn children, and even the firstborn of the cattle, Pharaoh rose up after weeks and weeks of refusing to do what God wanted him to do. That night, he said he called for Moses and Aaron. Get in here. And immediately says, get out of here. All you people, all your people, get out of here right now. And so what we see is a beautiful picture, my dear friends, of God providing a release of the children of Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh. Now listen to me, my dear friend, what does that mean to us? Listen, at 11.59 they were still slaves. Are you following me? At 11.59 the children of Israel were still slaves and then came Midnight. And at midnight, they were set free. What does that mean to us? I want you to understand, my dear friend, that tonight or this morning, that we have all kinds of people who are bound up. We have all kinds of people, even right here in this beautiful sanctuary, we have all kinds of people who are slaves to all kinds of things. You're in bondage this morning to all kinds of things. It's 11.59 and you're all bound up. But this morning, midnight could come for you. You could be set free this morning. What kind of bondage are you talking about? I'm talking about sin bondage. I'm talking about guilt bondage, shame bondage. Listen, I'm talking about unforgiveness bondage. There are all kind of things that have people bound up. But through Jesus Christ, we can be set free. It may be 11.59 for you right now, but I want you to know this morning, your midnight could come. All you got to do is come to Jesus Now turn over a few pages to the book of Judges. Y'all still with me this morning? To the book of Judges. Well, y'all are finding it faster than I am, and I got it marked. Amen. This is good. This is the story of Samson. Are you following me? The story of Samson, Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16, verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says. Read along with me, see if you can catch what I, where, where the midnight comes in. Listen. Then went Samson to Gaza, and saw there a harlot, and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is day, what? We shall kill him. And Samson lay till when? Midnight. And arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them out on top of the hill that is before Hebron. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand this morning, not only was there revival at midnight, and not only was there release at midnight, but right here we see there's refuge at midnight. Don't you understand that Samson was in there and all his enemies had him surrounded. Man, they had already made the plan. We're going to wait right here, be quiet all night long. As soon as that dude shows his face in the morning, we're going to attack him. We're going to ambush him secret. Man, we're going to kill that dude and be rid of this guy named Samson. But God spoke to him. God got a word to him saying, hey, you need to get out of here, man. They're trying to kill you. And so the Bible says at midnight, he got up and he. I believe he walked right past all them sleeping dudes. Amen. They were all there with their swords, everything, ready to kill. Him. He walked right by them, grabbed the gates of that City which weren't like some little old bitty flimsy gates we have around here. I'm talking about huge gates to the city. The Bible says doorpost and all, which means he pulled them up. Y'all ever tried to pull up a post by yourself? You ever had a, We used to have a cattle farm, amen. we would trying now. You got to get that tractor in there. You know what I'm saying? And he, Bible says, he lifted the doorpost and all and carried the gates upon his shoulder up to Mount Hebron. What does that mean? I want you to know that's a good word for us this morning because the Bible makes it very clear that God is our refuge. He's our refuge, my friend. And even though you may have people right now who are laying in wait for you, I want you to know there is refuge in Jesus. Can't nobody touch you unless Jesus gives them permission. Some of y'all need to hear that. Because I guarantee you, listen, you said Brian, a crank. I don't have anybody mad at me. Yeah, okay, you ain't living for Jesus then. (laughs) Because I guarantee you, you really start living for Jesus and you'll have the church folk mad at you. Because you'll upset the apple carts. Brother Craig, you think we need to be a fanatic or something about Jesus? You know what a fanatic is? A fanatic is somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. So you give them a name. Oh, that was fun. Amen. Hey, let me tell you the way I preach. If you don't like what I'm saying, just smile and say amen. Because you stick them lips out like some of y'all just did. Amen. I'm going to preach right there a little longer. Amen. Listen, my dear friend, I want you to understand that we ought to be so on fire for Jesus that it makes people uncomfortable. Brother Craig, you think we ought to be a fanatic or something? Yes! Why not? You're a fanatic about other things. Some of y'all, I can't carry on a five minute conversation that you tell me how great your grandkids are, how good the ball team is. I'm telling you, you're a fanatic about what you love, and the reason you're not a fanatic about Jesus is because you don't love Him as much as you say you do. This may be the last time I get to come here, amen? <laughs> but I want you to understand, my dear friend, whenever you're really living for Jesus and you're taking stands where you... Listen, some of y'all need to start living for Jesus start taking stands where He wants you to take stands. And when you start doing that, you're going to have some enemies. And here's what I found out. A lot of times they'll come from places you least expected it to. Next time somebody tries telling a dirty joke at work, won't you stand up and say, I don't think you need to tell that, that's ungodly. See how that goes. Next time you're walking around, somebody takes God's name in vain, won't you turn around and stop them? I was walking through Walmart one time, a good friend of mine, Brother Harold, Danny, I love that dude. We was walking through Walmart, just me and him. All of a sudden, there was a group of teenagers walking up in front of us. Man, they they they, 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 they were something. Amen. I mean, they, they looked apart. The Amen. They were just walking around there. All of a sudden, man, they start cussing and raising Cain, and one of them took God's name in vain. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. Oh, Brother Harold, right there in Walmart, not our Walmart, but a big Walmart. Amen. One of them big jobs, you know, where there was a bunch of people there, everybody in their pajamas. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And and everybody, listen, it was uh, uh, hundreds of people in this place. We're walking down the main aisle there. There's them goose, and one of them takes God's name in vain. And I'll never forget old Brother Harold. He went like this. Way! Glory! And everybody in that Walmart turned and looked. And then he had himself field. Praise the Lord! Praise Jesus! He's worthy of being praised! Let's give Him glory today! And I'll never get those teenagers turned around and looked at us like we was crazy or something. And Brother Harold looks at him and he points his finger and he says, if you're going to cuss him, I'm going to praise him. So you try that in Gina Walmart. (laughs) Listen, we really start living for Jesus and we're going to have attacks and we're going to have enemies come against us. But here's the good news, my dear friend. We have a refuge in Jesus. We have a refuge, and they may be laying around you right now. Listen, it may be 1159 in your life, and the enemies have you surrounded. But you keep what? Praying and praising, and your midnight's going to come. You keep praying and praising, and your midnight's going to come. All right, turn over a few pages. i got to quit. i got to hurry up. Amen? Turn to the book of Ruth. I want you to see this. Book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. Verse 7, y'all still with me? Say amen. Amen. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came in softly, who? Ruth. And uncovered his feet and laid her down, and it came to pass at when? Are y'all getting this this morning? Is this good? At midnight that the man was afraid and he turned himself and behold there was a woman who lay at his feet and he said, Who art thou? And he, she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaiden. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaiden for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed thou be thou of the Lord my daughter for thou hast showed me more kindness than the latter then, than the beginning and so much as thou followest not young men whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou require for all of the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Uh, we've looked at how there's revival at midnight. And we've looked how there's release at midnight. And we've looked how there's refuge at midnight. And right here is a perfect picture of redemption at midnight. Woo! It's redemption at midnight. Ruth and her mother-in-law, listen, they were broken. They had lost everything. They were hopeless. And their whole nation, all of their kin people were about to be destroyed. And God came in at midnight. Through Boaz, God used him to not only save Ruth and all of her family, but all the nation of Israel. All was saved, redeemed there at midnight. So what does that mean to us? It means it may be 1159 in your life right now and you may be broken. But listen to me, my dear friend. You keep praying and you keep praising. Midnight's coming. God specializes in repairing the broken. God specializes in bringing order to chaos. God specializes in redeeming those who you lost everything. That's what he's about. Turn to Acts chapter 20. I'm trying to hurry. Look at your neighbor and say, he's really trying to hurry. Acts chapter 20. i got to get this one in for my pastor's sake. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Here's what the Bible says. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples come together, are y'all there yet? I want you to see this now. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart in the, mor- in the morning, and uh, continued his speech until when? Midnight. <laughs> I can't help preach this and laugh. And there were, my- there were many lights in the upper chamber, and they were gathered together, and there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep, and as Paul was long preaching, did you all Bible say that? He sank down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, bracing him, and said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. In Acts chapter 20 here, listen, my dear friend, we see where Paul, the Bible says, was long preaching. So what I'm doing here this morning is just being biblical. Well, y'all didn't think that's funny, but I did. Amen. Every time your preacher goes over at 12 o'clock, just stand up and say, Praise the Lord, we got a biblical preacher in the house. But you ought to be thankful that Pastor Heath preaches up here and I'm preaching here, not Paul, or you wouldn't get out of here for several hours. The Bible says that he was long preaching, he'd been preaching for a long time, and when midnight came, there was a dude on the third story up there who did like most people I preached to, fell asleep. And the Bible says as he fell asleep, he fell from the third floor, fell all the way down, and the Bible said he was taken up dead. That don't mean that they thought he was dead or he was paying like he was dead. That means he was D-E-A-D, dead. And everybody got upset. Can you imagine if we was in this service in the morning, somebody fell out of the roof, fell down, boom, boy, we'd all be upset, amen? Everybody, ah, 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 oh, ah! I mean, everybody be running around crazy, but Paul didn't bother him one bit. Paul just walked over there and said, hang on, boys, ain't nothing wrong with him. He laid down on him. He said, his life's still here. In the name of Jesus, buddy, he got that sucker up. He resurrected him. So here's what I want you to see. Out of all those other things, release and revival and refuge and redemption, I want you to see that right here we see a perfect picture of resurrection at midnight. Because you see, here we had a dead man who got raised to life. It's a beautiful picture of what happens to a lost man who meets Jesus. He's resurrected a new life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that therefore we're in Christ. We are made a what? New creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Listen to me, my dear friend. What we see here in this passage with Eutychus, listen to me, listen to me. What we see here Is a perfect example of what happens when a dead man meets a living God. (laughs) Y'all didn't get that. See, the Bible says that without Christ we are dead in our sins. Listen, the Bible says in in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it talks about how we're already under condemnation of sin. We're already dead. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, you're nothing more than a dead man walking this morning. You're dead in your sins. You're dead to God. But through Jesus, if we will come and repent of sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, there can be life! And Eutychus that morning, that night, he got to experience what it's like to be a dead man resurrected to newness of life. But I want you to know, I don't know where you're at this morning, but you can experience the same thing. There can be resurrection for you this morning. You can be experienced... A new life in Christ. Well, last one and then I'm done. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25. Look at your neighbor and say, last one, then he's done. Y'all don't do a lot of talking during the service, do you? <laughs> Matthew chapter 25. Amen. Thank you, Ms. George. Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read this and then we're going to explain it and then we're going to be done. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. But at when? Midnight. There was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough oil for us and you. But go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And when they were gone to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went with him to the marriage, and the door was shut." Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So we've seen all these other things. We've seen revival at midnight. We've seen release at midnight. We've seen refuge at midnight. We've seen redemption at midnight. We've seen resurrection at midnight. and We come to the final midnight, and what we see here is there's going to be a return at midnight. It's going to be a return at midnight. The Bible here just tells the story there's ten virgins and, and five of them were ready and five weren't. And all of a sudden, the return, the bride came when they were least expecting Him to come. And five were ready and five were not. And the five who were ready were ushered away with the bridegroom. And the five who were not ready were left behind. And they came <laughs> begging, go, let me in, let me in. He said, nope, I do not know you. It's a perfect picture illustration of what's going to take place one day when the Son of God comes back to this earth. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. It may be 11.59 right now, and, but you better get ready because the return's going to come at midnight. It's going to come whenever you least expect it. It's 11.59 right now, and you have time to get things right. It's 11.59 right now, and there is an opportunity for you this morning to experience resurrection in Jesus, to get your life in order with Christ. But you better do it now. Because when the shout's heard, you don't have a chance to get ready. <laughs> now, to really understand this, I'm going to do this quickly. You've got to understand marriage is back in the day. Look at your neighbors. and say, this ought to be cool. Now, a lot of you young people, see, y'all think y'all got this thing figured out. But I think we ought to go back to the way things used to be done where the parents picked out who you married. Amen. I like that, Amen? Back in the day, parents picked out who you married. You didn't have a say-so in it. I don't like it. I know you don't. But here's what happened back in Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, what they did was, whenever the the son or the boy found somebody that he wanted to marry, what he would do is, he and his father, this would be the bridegroom and his father, would go to the home of the potential bride, you with me, of the girl, and the bridegroom and the bridegroom's father would meet with the bride's father in one room with the bride sitting in the other room. This sounds cool, don't it? And what they would discuss is, they would discuss the dowry. How much they were going to give the bride's father for allowing her him to marry the bridegroom. And so once they come to an agreement and once they establish everything, there was a ceremony that took place. Now follow me here. There was a ceremony that took place and and they would actually take a cup and they would fill it with some wine and, and the bridegroom would walk into the room where the bride was at waiting and he would offer her this cup. And it was an opportunity for the bride to refuse or reject this arrangement. And if she took that cup, she would drink it, and it was saying, I choose to serve you, to love you, to follow you for the rest of my life. Now, there's a lot to preach in there, brother. I'll let you do it later. But if you remember, Jesus, one time, he looked at a cup and said, Father, for be thy will, can I let this thing pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine, and he drank. You remember that? Listen to me, my dear friends. Once they had it set, a priest come in or there was a prayer that was made and they were actually married right there in that home. Y'all still with me? You remember the story of Mary and Joseph whenever Mary found out she was pregnant and the Bible says Joseph would have put her away privately in divorce? The reason why is because they were technically already married. This means, yeah. Stop me if I'm lying here, amen? They were technically married. They were the, the ceremony had already taken place. But what happens is once that ceremony, that meeting takes place, the bridegroom and his parent or his father, they go back to where he lives, and the bride stays in the house with her parents, and the entire time the bride's learning how to be a mother, she's getting those final moments of instructions from her family, and the bridegroom's back at his house, and the Bible or the history tells us that the bridegroom begins working on a house for his future bridegroom. Most of the time, they had an addition to the parents' homes there. They had a room that they added. And so he would begin working on that room. And whenever all the work was done, whenever the final preparations were made, sometimes that was about a year's time, then the bridegroom would go back to get his bride to bring her back to her new home. Are y'all getting this? There's some connections here. I hope you're getting it. Well, see, what would happen was whenever the bridegroom was working, whenever all the work was done, when then they got all the festivities ready for the grand, for the wedding supper, then all of a sudden the bridegroom, they'd all get dressed up, they had a wedding party, and they'd say, all right, it's time to go get the bride. Send the heralder. I probably could have been a good heralder because I got a loud voice, Amen. But they would say, send the herald." And man, it was like a parade. All this big wedding party with the bridegroom. Man, they would start marching down the street and running way out ahead of this wedding party would be the heralder. And he would be running out and he'd be going, the bridegroom cometh! The bridegroom cometh! And he'd run all over the place. He'd run all over town. He'd run way ahead of the wedding party shouting, the bridegroom cometh! And all of a sudden, listen, the bridegroom and his wedding party would arrive at the bride's house. The door would be open and there would stand that beautiful bride. They would embrace and then march right back in that parade back to the bridegroom's house where they would shut the door and have the honeymoon. Now listen. In our story, the shout was heard when the bride's least expected it. So by the time the wedding party got there, The five that weren't ready were left. And the five that were ready got to go experience the joys of the bridegroom's home. It may be 1159 in your life right now. You're not saved. You've never been saved. You're still dead in your sin. If you were to die right now, you would spend eternity in hell. If Jesus was to come right now, you would be left. Listen to me, my dear friend. It may be 1159 and you're not ready for the return. But your midnight can be tonight. You can get ready. You can be ready. All you have to do is come. Would you bow your heads? Now, there was so much in all of this, and I know it was long and it was a lot to it, but I believe that God spoke to several people here. First of all, I believe there's some people here going through some difficult times that you needed to hear. It's 1159 in your life, and it's dark, and there's pain, there's trouble there's devastation, there's hurt, there's brokenness. It's 11:59, but you needed to hear the word that your midnight's coming. But we're going to have to do some things. We're going to have to take some steps of faith. And probably all throughout this sanctuary, there's people who need to come to this altar and get busy praying and praising. If you're here this morning and you need somebody to pray with you, there'll be people standing down here. Pastors will be standing down here, and they'll be happy to pray with you and help you in any way that you need. They'd love to pray with you. I'm telling you, I know these people. It would would be an honor for them to pray with you about whatever it is that's going on in your life. It may be that you're here this morning, and you're not ready for the return, and you need to be saved. You need to come say yes to Jesus. You need to repent of sin. You need to cry out for Him to change your life. You need order brought to your chaos, and the only one who can restore it is Jesus. So if that's you this morning, then you come. I promise you all those things I said, release, refuge, resurrection, revival, all of those things are available for those who will seek the Lord. You pray and you praise and they're available. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, dear God, have you spoken to my heart. God, I believe you've spoken to many others. So Lord, during this time, I pray we'll be obedient to you. God, I pray, Lord, for that person who's hurting right now. Maybe the husband doesn't even know. Maybe the wife doesn't know, but they are in some kind of pain this morning. For the teenager who's going through some things that their parents don't know about, God, I lift them up to you. God, I pray you've spoken to them this morning. Lord, I pray that we'll, we'll see our need is to cry out to you this morning. So Father, during this invitation, I pray that every person here, that we'll get our hearts right with you. Lord, whether that's being saved, repenting of sin, or just coming and laying some burdens down. Thank you, dear God, for the miracles of midnight. Not only in your word, but the miracles that we're going to see in the lives of people here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet, Pastor Heath?